So we started a research program to understand First of all, whether it was feasible, would patients actually come to an exercise training program? And second of all, would it actually work? They committed to the program 100%. They really enjoyed it. And actually, it had a very clinical, significant improvement on their fitness. So people were going into surgery fitter. You're listening to the Patient Voice in Cancer Research Fireside Chat podcast. The Patient Voice in Cancer Research is an initiative of UCD Conway Institute, a research institute based in University College Dublin. My name is Elaine Quinn. This podcast series deals with the topics that matter most to people on their cancer journey. What does the research tell us? We bring together patients and researchers to answer the tough questions. In episode three, we look at exercise programs for cancer patients before and after treatment. Patient advocate Ramon Whelan chats with Dr. Lisa Lockney clinical exercise physiologist with a special interest in cancer prehabilitation. Also joining the conversation is Dr. Mairead Cantwell, a lecturer in the Department of Sport and Health Sciences in Athlone Institute of Technology. This episode is introduced by myself, Elaine Quinn, Institute Manager of Communications and Education in UCD Conway Institute. My name is Elaine Quinn. I'm a part of the Patient Voice and Cancer Research. I have the pleasure of introducing our facilitator for this evening's uh, event, and that's Ramon Whelan. Ramon is one of our fantastic patient advocates that is on our steering committee for the Patient Voice in Cancer Research. And Ramon very kindly agreed. He's he's very willing to, to take on board when I asked him, would he facilitate this session? It's like, of course, I can't say no. Um, so Ramon is a cancer survivor. He was diagnosed with testicular cancer in April 2006, and he volunteers with the Cancer Irish Cancer Society um, as part of their peer support group. Um, and he's also involved with the grant reviewing for the Irish Cancer Society. Ramon took up running a couple of years ago, um, and that was to combat some weight gain experienced uh, during chemotherapy and uh, uh, since has been running marathons. And I suppose in preparations for this evening, I went digging into the into the, uh, the the media on this and I found an Irish Times article that was done in 2013, where at that point he had been running for, we'd been running for five years and he'd done five marathons. So I'm sure the, the tally has increased um, at, at this point. He can, he can tell us about that a bit later. I was a bit Disappointed to see that his choice of uh, running music was Tin Lizzy and, and, and ACDC. I think the only uh, the only saving grace in there was Passenger. But, you know, it is seven years old now, so maybe the music tastes have changed as well. So, Ramon, you, you can fill us in on, on that. So thank you very much for the session. I'll pass you over to, to Ramon now. Thanks, Elaine. Thanks a million. Yeah, the, the marathon numbers have gone up all right. And I'm on 14 now, so I have two more now this year. So hopefully Berlin and Dublin again. So... That's that's where I'm at with that, and the music hasn't changed. You need a good beat behind you to keep keep yourself motivated. It's it's not easy on the roads, you know. So you have to do you have to do something. So without further ado, I get down. To, I get down to business. Um, tonight we are joined. We are, and first, I'd like to say thank you to both Mairead and Lisa. We're joined by Mairead and Lisa to give us um, their view on our topic tonight, which is getting fit for cancer treatment and beyond. So firstly, we're joined by Mairead Cantwell, who is a lecturer in the Department of Sports and Health Science in Athlone Institute of Technology. Mairead graduated from Dublin City University with a first-class honours degree in sports science and health, and she went on to complete her master's at Liverpool's John Moores University 
in uh, clinical exercise physiology, uh, where she graduated with, with distinction. Mairead worked as a clinical exercise physiologist in Ireland, the UK and Australia from 2011 to 2018, where she gained extensive experience in cardiac, pulmonary and oncology rehabilitation in both hospital and community-based settings. Mairead completed her PhD at DCU in 2019 in the area of oncology rehabilitation. Her PhD was funded by the Irish Cancer Society and Mairead was the recipient of the Irish Cancer Society's first PhD Researcher of the Year Award. Mairead began her current role at Athlone in 2018. She's part of AIT's uh, SHE research group, which aims to bridge the gender data gap in sport, health and exercise science research. Her research focuses on the role of physical activity and nutrition in the treatment and management of chronic diseases. So you're very welcome, Mairead. We're also joined by Dr. Lisa Lockney, who is a clinical exercise physiologist with a specialist interest in cancer prehabilitation. Lisa worked with the Fit for Surgery group in the UK for five years in Aintree University Hospital and Southampton University Hospital, conducting research studies which investigated the effects of exercise prehabilitation prior to major cancer surgery. She moved back to Ireland in 2016, where she designed and developed the Cancer Prepare Service, which is an exercise prehabilitation program for people with a new cancer diagnosis at Exwell Medical. She's leading her own program of, clin of clinical research in the area in collaboration with Beaumont Hospital Dublin, Mercy Hospital Cork, University Hospital Galway and the Matter Hospital Dublin. She has published research papers in international peer reviews, journals, and presented her work at the international at international conferences. So again, Lisa, you're very welcome. Thanks very much for joining us here today. Can I get you just to give me your your view on our topic, our heading tonight, um, getting fit for cancer treatment and beyond? If Lisa, if you want to take it there. Hi, Raman. Thank you so much for a great introduction. Great job. Um, so I suppose my area um, of research has been in the area of cancer prehabilitation and my career started in this 10 years ago in Aintree University Hospital following completion of my master's in clinical exercise physiology, as I said, um, where I studied alongside Marie Cantwell. And I started a, a, an area of work that was quite new at the time. And uh, our research group, which was the Fit for Surgery group, were quite interested in understanding the impact that chemotherapies, radiotherapies had on fitness and quality of life. So as a start, we just observed patients before and after their treatment, and we could see that there was a significant reduction in their physical fitness, in their quality of life. And all of this meant that they were going into surgery with a lower level of fitness. They were feeling worse than themselves, and this impacted their recovery. So people were in hospital longer, they had more complications. So it makes sense to think that exercise would play a role within this pathway. And um, Whilst that said, it was a relatively new area of work. So we started a research uh, programme to understand, first of all, whether it was feasible, would patients actually come to an exercise training programme? And second of all, would it actually work? Uh, and they, they committed to the programme 100%. There was a high attendance rate. They really enjoyed it. And actually, it had a very clinical, uh, significant improvement on their fitness. So people were going into surgery fitter. And from there, uh, my team and I moved down to Southampton University Hospital, where we progressed this work into larger clinical trials, incorporating different cancer types. And essentially, uh, our research focused on the, the important role that exercise played for people undergoing cancer treatments and surgery. And the fitter patients did better after surgery. 
And so taking my learnings and experiences from the UK, I moved back to Ireland in 2016 and I wanted to progress this work within the community setting. So like gyms and leisure centres to ensure that these sort of programmes would allow for a long term continuation of exercise for people who had been newly diagnosed with the cancer. So over the last five years, I've been doing research within this area, looking at the feasibility again, whether we can implement them uh, within the community, whether we can link in with hospitals to ensure that this process uh, can work. And second of all, the impact that these programmes have. Um, and in the last couple of years and specifically over the last 12 months, we've been researching this in the home setting. So my experience involves hospital-based, community-based and home-based exercise programmes. And at the moment, my work is uh, service delivery, but I'm also, because it's a new area, I want to research it. So I've focused on research in prostate cancer and lung cancer, esophageal and gastric cancer, personally, peritoneal malignancy cancer and colorectal cancer. And the message really is that uh, exercise and fitness is key for all cancer types. And as we can see by your experience, even by participating in exercise, following your, your cancer treatments, um, you can complete 14 marathons. So fitness is not only important for a cancer journey, but also for long-term health. Um, and I'm happy to be here this evening and thank you to you and the team for inviting us and look forward to questions. Excellent. Thanks for that, Lisa. Right, we'll go across to yourself. Hi, Ramon. And yeah, thanks a million. It's uh, lovely to be here and have the opportunity to chat about all things exercise and cancer. Um, so yeah, I suppose similar to Lisa, I came through a similar pathway and I was working as a clinical exercise physiologist in Liverpool Heart and Chest Hospital in the UK uh, when I first really became aware of the need for exercise support, particularly following uh, cancer treatment. And the, the hospital that I worked at at the time was a specialist centre for heart and chest medicine. And although not part of our remit, we became aware of patients on the ward who were there for, for lung cancer treatment um, and really became aware of the need for follow up support a decrease in physical function, quality of life was being observed. And we had the opportunity there to do some pilot work to see how could exercise help in the in the rehab space. So uh, Lisa's work focuses on, on prehab and, and my work tends to focus more in the survivorship space. And um, so that was fantastic and a really great experience. Just given this the scope of, of the service that we were running at the time, we didn't have um, more opportunity to explore that in more detail, but it really sparked my passion for the area, and um, I was I was really keen to to continue working in this area when I moved home, and was very fortunate to have been awarded a PhD scholarship by the Irish Cancer Society, and and through that program of work, uh, it was a four year project, and we were really keen to look at physical activity throughout the cancer journey in the Irish context, and to look at that from the perspective of healthcare professionals from patients themselves, and then to use that information to build a program. And similar to Lisa, that it's something that could be implemented in a community-based setting that ha could have the potential to be scaled up so that we would have um, a, an evidence-based program that patients could potentially be referred to uh, following, following treatment. And so I'm happy to take any questions on, on the research in particular, um, but the program was shown to be effective and, and we hope to continue that work um, and again, similar to Lisa, you know, I'm really uh, an advocate for exercise as medicine in the treatment and management um, of cancer and other chronic diseases as well. You know, um, you know, we often hear if 
you were told if your doctor said, I'll, I'll give you a tablet and it's going to reduce the side effects that you're going to get from your cancer treatment. And um, it's going to increase your quality of life. It's going to reduce your risk of getting other conditions like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and perhaps above all else, it's going to help you to live longer. You know, would you take it? And I think we'd all uh, jump at the chance and, and really exercise is that medicine. And um, so, so very passionate about trying to promote that message and, um, really see my research in the area of, of what we would call implementation science. So trying to bridge the research and service gap that um, I was very fortunate uh, through my PhD and that was based um, in uh, MedEx, which is now Axwell Releases based, that we had the opportunity through uh, Dr. McCaffrey's programme to um, deliver the programme we had designed directly in a community-based setting. So it minimised the delay, I suppose, in, in getting um, the, the benefit to patients directly. And um, so, yeah, very excited to be here tonight. Uh, looking forward to um, uh, hearing any questions that anyone might have. And um, yeah, that's everything from me. Thanks both for, for your overview on, on that. So maybe you could start by, by telling me um, how you both define exercise and, and is there a difference between exercise and actually um, being active? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. And, um, you know, a lot of times these terms are used interchangeably, but they do represent different things. So and um, physical activity is an umbrella term that really incorporates all types of movements of our body. And then within that umbrella, then we have, we have three kind of primary categories, if you like. The first is active living. The second will be structured exercise and the third would be sport. So active living is just uh, incidental movement that we might accumulate throughout the course of the day, whether that's doing chores around the house or, you know, if we engage in any activity as part of our jobs. Um, and, and that type of activity tends to be what we would refer to as light intensity activity, just general movement throughout the day. Exercise then is a bit more structured. It's purposeful. It's done to improve or maintain our fitness. And sport is similar to exercise, but I suppose in, in the sporting context, we see that need for that kind of skill component. And, and, and what we really see with physical activity is, is this dose response, where we know that the greater volume of exercise that we engage in, um, the, the greater the benefits, up until uh, kind of an upper limit. But what we also know in that dose response is that the people who have the most to gain are the people who go from doing nothing to doing something that even a modest increase in levels of physical activity can have a significant improvement on, on aspects of our health and well-being. And, and so while intensity is important and volume is important, I, I suppose really the take-home message for, for anyone listening tonight who maybe may not have been active in the past and um, you know is that something is better than nothing um, and that more is better than some. Lisa, do you have anything to come to come back on, on, on that? Anything further to add? Maria has perfectly answered that question. Um, if we think about being active and you're coming from a very low level of activity, or, um, maybe some people aren't even out and about yet walking, we know that even small bouts of ex activity, which is even five to ten minutes regularly throughout the day, are very beneficial. So if you're starting from a very low level, even by adding in them snippets of exercise throughout the day is a very good start. So the, the next question I'll put to you guys is, um, what does, the, what does uh, research show about the benefits of exercise? And um, do you think we have enough evidence now to regard exercise as a medicine and as part of uh, cancer treatment pathways? Yeah, I, I can take that question. Um, so 
I suppose how we understand the impact or effect exercise has is that we look at the research that has been done. So research has been gathered or collated, uh, findings from studies have been put together to help us understand this in a little bit more of a better understanding. And we have a very strong evidence base to suggest that exercise has a very important impact on anxiety, on depression, on cancer-related fatigue, which is tiredness not proportional to what someone did on a particular day, and physical function. And we have a moderate um, evidence base suggesting that exercise is very beneficial for sleep and bone health. So when Raid spoke about exercise as medicine, it really is medicine. And when we think about what exercise will allow you to get them benefits, we know that a combination of aerobic exercise, and aerobic exercise is something that gets your breathing rate up, your heart rate up. It could be something like walking, cycling, swimming, jogging, and indeed running. That's aerobic exercise. And if you participate in that three times a week from 20 to 40 minutes, you will get the benefits. But in addition to that, if you add in resistance exercises, which is like strength work, so um, maybe some light weights um, on the arms and the legs, you will even get a better um, improvement in all those variables that I just discussed. So it's really, really strong evidence based to suggest that yes, exercise is really important. And second of all, that it should be implemented within the cancer care pathway. And our research is hoping to build the evidence base further to be able to make that part of standard care. Excellent. I suppose that leads me on to the, the next question is, um, I suppose, how much exercise is reasonable and feasible for a cancer patient, especially when, um, you know, fatigue is one of the one of the main um, concerns with with uh, with a cancer treatment. I suppose for me, before, before I go to you, Mairead, my own my own experience is the amount of times you sit on the couch and it's just I'm not going out. I'm too tired. You'll always find an excuse. But the difference when you get out, even if it's for half an hour for a walk or a run, you come back here, the energy levels are up, you, you actually feel the benefit of it. Similar to what Lisa spoke about there, you know, again, we, we go back to the evidence and, and what the recommendations are. And, and we do have a recommendation for, for individuals who are living with and beyond cancer. And that's that people should aim to achieve at least the minimum of 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity. So that's exercise where you're um, a little bit flushed in the face, you're starting to sweat, your breathing is a little bit heavier than usual. Um, and that that should be accumulated at least 150 minutes over the course of the week. And that if possible, we can support that then with at least two resistance sessions. So those exercises that Lisa spoke about, muscle strengthening activities on, on two days each week as well. Um, but that's what the recommendations are. And it, it might be, um, a case that for someone who is um, going through their treatment, they're experiencing a lot of side effects. The fatigue is really bad. Uh, motivation can be a real challenge at that time as well. Uh, and a really meaningful recommendation for anyone who's in that stage is just to avoid inactivity and to try and break up the um, you know, extended bouts of what we would call sedentary behavior. So sitting for long periods of time. So, you know, do what's achievable and feasible for you at the stage that you're at in your journey. Um, and it's important, I think, to be aware that those guidelines are there, that, you know, we could work up to the 150 minutes or uh, with the two resistance sessions each week. But even as Lisa said, light intensity activity, bouts of, you know, a couple of minutes at a time, we know that that's really important. And even may play an important role in terms of maintaining our health, that it's preventing a decline um, during that time, say, if you're going through treatment. 
and that that's what you have the capability for. And then maybe the following treatment, when your energy starts to come back, you feel like you might be in a better place than maybe to, to achieve those guidelines. But but like Lisa said, you know, while, while that's kind of our, our optimal dose, if you like, or from there upwards, there is great evidence now as well to say, to say that exercising three times a week for 30 minutes can have a really meaningful impact on fatigue, anxiety, depression, quality of life. So I, I think we need to see it as a spectrum uh, of activity. And, you know, this is um, our, our optimal over here. And, um, you know, this is maybe what's achievable for us at the moment. So rather than viewing that it as I, I am and or, or I am active, well, where do I see myself on that spectrum at the moment? And, and how can I increase that at a time that, that works for me based on how I'm feeling uh, on my cancer journey? Excellent, excellent. And just to um, go to one of the questions that came in there earlier on, was just how would you uh, accommodate people if they had pain or they were restricted in what they what they could do? Would that be, um, as you said, Lisa, the, the weights or to try and build things like that? Or is there um, is there something else that you'd recommend? I know everybody's different, but is there something that would be, you know, across the board? Yeah, so the principles of exercise are the same for everyone, um, but the amount that someone may be able to do or what they can or can't do because of pain or other limitations, um, it's important that everyone gets assessed at the beginning of a programme and that we're able to understand where that person is at and also any restrictions or limitations that it may impact them. So when we talk about pain, what we don't want is for the pain to get worse following participation in the exercise and for that pain to continue. So say if someone goes out for a walk or an exercise session now, later on this evening, that pain is worse and they're kept awake overnight with it. That is not good. And again, that will all come back through the GP and any of the clinical leads that that patient is seeing. But if pain is not being uh, worsened by exercise, then that's fine. And again, it's an individualized approach and it's an individualized prescription and it's taking each step um, as you can. So you're starting low, always start low and then work your way up. And if someone is coming from a place where fatigue is a huge issue and they're finding they're, they can't sleep at night and they're spending longer time in bed during the day, their physical activity levels are going to be really low. Their energy levels are going to be low. And we know that the muscle mass is impacted by cancer treatments. And that means that they're feeling that tiredness because of the fire up of the muscles aren't there. And um, so the anti-sedentary behavior would be the first message. And that might mean that that individual is just up and walking around the house every day, every hour, you know, that's movement. And then when they feel a little bit more energized, they might go out for a little bit more. So that's kind of incorporating the individualized approach. But then in terms of the pain, um, again, it would be back to the GP um, to discuss that if it was an issue. Yeah, maybe just to add what Lisa said there, you know, around pain and, um, you know, in that assessment that someone would have at the start of a programme, you know, we might be able to identify modalities of exercise that don't aggravate the pain. And, you know, so for, for some people may have joint pain and if they, they're finding that their, their weight is increased following treatment. And, you know, we can use non-weight bearing exercise like a seated bike can be really helpful to kind of eliminate uh, loading on the joints or like that if someone um, has significant fatigue and, and, you know, they don't have the capability to walk or to go on a treadmill or a bike, then we look to use uh, resistance exercises to strengthen up their muscles and then progress towards uh, the aerobic, that whole body exercise that Lisa spoke about. So, you know, through our assessments, uh, we're able to get a feel for what may or may not work for someone 
uh, assess their pain and, and what aggravates it, like Lisa said, and, and then make appropriate decisions from there. I suppose that leads on to what do you what do you think of the role of technology in motivating patients or even just supporting an exercise plan? I just want to follow on about the physical activity. So although we know about these guidelines, we actually can use technology to measure what people can do at home. So as a part of our research, we provide these individuals with a monitor that they wear in their leg for a week, looking at their normal day to day activity within that seven day period. And all of our data coming back shows that our physical activity levels measured by step count and and moderate physical activity are really, really low. So for anyone undergoing cancer treatment, they may only be able to be do 2,000, 3,000 steps a day and some people much lower. And if you think about that, people with COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, are doing in and around the same amount of activity per day. So we're talking really low levels of activity. And when we asked, so a research group asked their patients, how much exercise are you achieving per week? 90% of people said, I'm actually achieving my 150 minutes a week. But when we used technology to measure what they did, they overreported it and only 50% were actually achieving it. So I think we're all the same. We overreport what we do. Uh, but realistically, they, they weren't achieving it. So 50% of people were able to complete that activity levels. So the area around technology has grown over the last couple of years. And I think they're at the stage of understanding the receptiveness of people to technology. So if a group of people were provided with the option of having a technology driven exercise program, how many people could do it? And it's only 60 to 70 percent still. We're still not fully there yet. So we still need the options of the very low tech programs. And um, but an example of the, the technology based um, work at the moment that we're doing would be the Periop OG trial. So we're working with esophageal and gastric cancer patients throughout their cancer journey. And the exercise training is starting at the point of diagnosis. It's continuing through their cancer treatments, which is chemotherapies, radiotherapies. It's continued to the point of their surgery and then following surgery. And the um, the exercise group are getting a Fitbit and the Fitbit is then being uh, matched up with an exercise log or booklet. And then they get a weekly call from myself as a part of the support. And although that's a very low level of, I suppose, technology, the, the technology side of the Fitbit is actually quite effective because they now have comp- competitions amongst themselves. So, and it's really important to look at progress. So while they log their steps every day uh, with the very basic booklet, they're able to provide that back to me on the phone every day and they send me their logs every Sunday night. So there's definitely a sense of motivation. And I think specifically at home at the moment, it's great to look at progress. You know, they feel real empowered going through their cancer journey, knowing, okay, last week after my chemo, I was bad, but look how good I am this week. And then they capitalize on the good weeks. And even it's getting that balance of, you know, what I m- might not have been able to do, but what I can do now. And it allows them also to look at their own journey and, you know, to see what impact the treatment has had on them. And also the recovery time after treatment before surgery, how empowered they are to enhance their activities. So it's a it's an area that definitely will grow. Um, and I think we do need to be mindful that not all people are able to use technology uh, as good as we are here today. And so there's a role for it in most of the population, but not everyone at the moment. And do you think the technology would set a target that people would be trying to achieve too early? I just gone from my own experience with the running club I'm in. I, I do a Couch to 5K program, which starts every January. But obviously this year it had to be socially distant. So 
it was done, as you say, technology didn't have to be massive. It was uh, WhatsApp and you sent the things in. But people, you know, you're told to go for two minutes, walk for two minutes and they're progressing further than they should be. Do you find people are trying to do too much too soon with the technology or are they sticking? Are they sticking to it? I think, I think everyone at the moment is taking their own journey uh, as they see it. And our groups are quite small at the moment. So we've a weekly Zoom support group for everyone. So the numbers are quite small. Everyone's on their own journey. Everyone is undergoing different time points of their treatment. Uh, but there's definitely comp- competition amongst themselves, which is very healthy. Um, so a part of what we do as well as looking at their activity levels, we'd actually do assessments looking at their physical and psychological health. So they have real markers to be benchmarked against along the way. And that, I think, is a very good idea for someone yeah. to see how they're getting on. And especially, as you say, when you're competitive like you, it, it can be quite a good thing to help you drive you on, you know. Get you up and active when you when you don't really want to be, isn't it? That's that's the hard part. It is. It is. You're absolutely right. The hard part is getting yourself up and, and doing it. But uh, at the moment, I do think family supports are very important. Um, and maybe not everyone's reaching out to other people going through cancer journeys but you know everyone has to do what's right for them something Lisa's referred to a couple of times there that's so important is that aspect of social support you know when when we're talking here about you know ways to support people to be active and the role that technology might play and you know there's other strategies that we know about too and probably the most powerful of that and, and you've given a great example of it there Ron is that social aspect of engaging with others who have a shared experience People have come on a similar journey and, you know, I better go to my class on Tuesday because I told Mary I'd be there last week and I don't want to let her down. You know, that we've all had that commitment where we signed up to something and uh, Lisa and I did it, a six-week driving class together. And uh, in week three or four, and it's like a dark winter's evening, you're thinking, oh, geez, where I really want to be going to this. And it was the best thing we ever did. You know, but because I had promised Lisa, I definitely wasn't going to let her down, you know, so... Stuff like that is just so important, I think, to, to maximise. If, if you're sitting there thinking you're really interested in becoming physically active, and I think one of the, the most powerful things you can do is to get some uh, a support network around yourself. So whether that's in an online setting that you sign up to a class online and you're tuning in or um, you know that you're uh, having a chat with someone at home who's in the house with you to say, look, I'm really keen to do this. Will you help me on my way? And um, that, that's really, really powerful and, and definitely shouldn't be underestimated. We have a couple of questions popping into the Q&A, which is thankful. I'll start with the first one there from Tina. Um, she's talking about the Nordic walking that's recommended in the UK for breast cancer survivors. And um, but her physio advised her to get trained in it before she and properly fitted um, to avoid lymphedema. Um, she can't find anyone in Ireland to do it or anything like that. Is Have you any advice or comments on Nordic walking after breast cancer? That's a, a really uh, timely question. Um, I'm I'm working with uh, the East Galway Midlands Cancer Support Centre. So Jacqueline Daly and, and her team down there are just fantastic. And uh, very kindly reached out to us not long to see uh, would we be able to, to work together uh, on some research projects and uh, we're actually, we, we just submitted an ethics application and we're writing up a, a plan for a pro- evaluation of a program looking at activator poles. So activator poles are a little bit different to the Nordic walking and the base of the pole uh, is a little bit broader. So in the context of cancer, you know, if anyone is experiencing uh, the neuropathy that they've lost the sensation, the wider balance of the pole is just better from a stability point of view. 
and 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 also how you uh, hold on to them as well and um, that they have a better kind of shape grip so that you're not kind of you know grasping it uh, in case you, you slip or anything that they have a, a better handle support there as well and um, and so um yeah the evidence uh, around uh, nordic walking and uh, active, the activator poles are a newer concept uh, there isn't as much evidence behind them as there is for nordic walking but and um, definitely uh, something that uh, whoever that is and um, if you check out the east galway midlands cancer support center i'm sure they'd be able to uh, give you some more details about providers of um, of the activator poles and maybe offer you a link to, to someone who'd be able to offer training around that but uh, it's fantastic. Uh, the Nordic walking is great in the context of exercising cancer and uh, uh, a great opportunity to get out in the outdoors as well and, and benefit from being in a, a green environment. And we've uh, another another question there from uh, Moore. Any data or anything on the extent that oncologists are recommending exercise? Are, are they getting behind this as well? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to take that one. Um, that was something that we looked at as part of the PhD. So and um, we, we really wanted to look at kind of physical activity promotion across the cancer treatment pathway. So starting with the healthcare professionals who do such a great job in supporting patients and um, during and after their treatment. And, and, and what we saw with the, with the research that we did, so we did two rounds of what was called a Delphi study. Uh, we asked healthcare professionals who work in oncology about what types of physical activity they promote, who they promoted to, and what do they recommend. And then we also said, um, you know, if you were, if you had a community-based program uh, available to you, what would make referring patients to that service easier from your perspective? So we wanted to try and see, could we kind of bridge that gap from the hospital to the community-based settings and to, to minimize any additional workload from um, the healthcare professional's perspective? And, and really what we found was that um, healthcare professionals really believed in the value of physical activity, that it should be considered as part of standard care, that it can help promote quality of life. For the most part, we saw about 86% of our respondents uh, agree with those statements. Um, but we also saw that um, physical activity wasn't discussed with every patient. Um, it was more commonly uh, discussed with survivors of breast cancer uh, compared to patients who'd had colorectal or prostate cancer. And, and that was at all stages throughout the cancer journey. And, and also um, in the context of um, uh, the recommendations that were given by healthcare professionals, unfortunately, the majority of recommendations that were given didn't align with those recommendations that we spoke about of the 150 minutes and the two resistance sessions. Um, and really the, the main barriers that the, the healthcare professionals who participated in, in our study and said uh, in terms of you know what they found challenging in promoting physical activity to their patients was that they didn't have enough time with their patients and that there, there was a lack of community-based services available in their locality to be able to refer patients to the expert advice that they needed and they didn't feel they had enough resources um, in terms of leaflets or material to promote physical activity to their patients that even if they had uh, less time that they could give them something to say, I want you to read this and to engage with it. Um, and also they came back and said to us, you know, that they felt um, they may lack some knowledge around how to promote physical activity and prescribe it effectively. And um, so I think there's a whole piece of work that needs to be done there to better support our, our healthcare professionals uh, around um, exercise, the benefits of it, how to safely recommend it, and also to strengthen those relationships with community-based programmes 
uh, who have um, you know amazing staff like Lisa who are there and ready and willing to to offer that that guidance um, for for individuals who come through the door. Yeah, just to follow on there, Marie, at the moment, um, you know, I, I suppose it is establishing the links between community programmes like ourselves and hospitals. Once that relationship has been established, the referral base is open and the consultants are really keen to, to be able to provide uh, that option to their patients as they care for them. And we've just started a really um, important initiative with the Matter Hospital where we're asking all patients to be referred and it's an opt out service rather than opt in and that it's a part of their standard pathway. So you're referred to your chemotherapy, your radiotherapy, your surgeon and your exercise. And that's really the, the vision that we have going forward. And we hope uh, we've just completed a cancer booklet and um, that is supported by the Irish Cancer Society. That would be part of a national rollout. And that's our vision to be able to implement this programme nationally through local links with hospitals and um, not only in Dublin, but in other hospitals in Ireland. So I'm looking for what your view on for people who are experienced and neuropathy after chemotherapy. Apologies. No, that's perfect. Uh, So neuropathy might affect the peripheral, so the the fingers or the feet, and um, it it can be quite um, limiting on balance. So we'd start with very gentle exercises and it might be if balance is an issue that it might be a bicycle and that might be a static bicycle in the home where someone is supporting them. Depends on the level or the variation of neuropathy, but can, it can be quite limiting for exercise. And again, it's down to the individual level. Balance can be impacted. Balance exercise improves it. And a light and gentle exercises to begin uh, with the support of a family or friend with you is also recommended. Even chair-based exercise, I think, is is a, a great option there. And, you know, because of COVID and programs are moving online, there, there's great resources out there, you know, for chair-based exercise. That's that's really gentle and a really nice place to start uh, for, for someone who is experiencing that. And um, I think one one particular thing to, to flag maybe as well is just that grip can be affected. And um, so if they were trying to do any resistance exercise, whether that's if they have free weights at home or they're using tinned beans or whatever, just to be mindful of, of the grip that they wouldn't drop something on their foot or something. But um, but uh, definitely, like Lisa said, uh, very uh, beneficial to engage in exercise if someone is experiencing the neuropathy. There's a question there uh, referencing back to Fitbits and other technologies to track and provide motivation. But I think, Lisa, you, you answered that in the technology that, yeah, they, they are a, they are a good thing. There's um, there's another question there. Um, is there Could there be a programme developed for children and adolescents and maybe a follow-on programme for survivors of childhood and adolescent cancers? Yeah, this is something I'm really interested in. Um, through my, my time working with the Irish Cancer Society and my PhD research and, and going to different events, I really became aware of the need um, for exercise uh, for children and adolescents who've been affected by cancer and really aware of um, the, the lack of support services that are available, particularly in the post-treatment uh, phase. Um, and so that's something that uh, we've actually just uh, submitted um, a, 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 an application for funding to try and um, we want to look at a 12-month programme that would focus on nutrition and exercise support for uh, teenagers who finish their cancer treatment. Um, And and obviously the geographical limitation of that, that people are located across Ireland, um, you know, we might look to deliver that remotely and that there will be an emphasis on on self-management um, you know, that uh, there may be a tapering, say, a, a three-month intensive period 
working with patients and, and then trying to taper that off then so that, that people become self-sufficient, I suppose, in managing their exercise and and, and uh, their diet quality. But definitely something, you know, we know uh, similar to our um, uh, adults who are affected by cancer and, um, you know, that treatment can be associated with significant side effects uh, and that those side effects can be long lasting. And again, definitely a role for um, a holistic approach to support around um, uh, psychological support, exercise, nutrition, to really try and optimize uh, outcomes and uh, recovery, definitely. So, um, yeah, definitely something I think there's a need for hoping to secure funding to do something in that space this year. So, um, fingers crossed. <laughs> it's a really under-researched piece of work as rates, you know, now is identifying that gap. And we know that from systematic reviews that are, are published. So it is really important p- part of the research that needs to be pushed on. And, and again, long-term follow-up to see what actual beneficial effects it has on their overall health and, um, you know, beyond the cancer journey. So like, it would be nice to see those programmes linked in with the cancer support groups that are around Ireland for those age groups, which you know, programs like Maria that's going to research would nicely integrate to be able to support these people at home and, and one that's really important. So we'll go with the a last question because we're literally on the borderline of uh, time there. But one, I suppose everyone would be thinking is um, how do you research the benefits of exercise in clinical trials and that with patients? And more to the point, you know, we all hear about research happening in the UK and America. What research is happening in Ireland? So I suppose how you do a research study, you identify the population of interest. So who is it that you want to research and why? What intervention that you want to deliver? So is it an exercise program and a nutrition program or, or what is it and what does that look like? And um, is there going to be um, what outcomes are you interested in? So are we interested in improving quality of life in reducing fatigue so you'd have to think about what you're interested in in improving or or changing and um and i suppose a lot of that is driven by patient and public involvement so when we as a research group come together we bring it back to the table uh, and we include uh, a wide uh, range of people from different teams so we have consultant surgeons and uh, oncologists and we have patient representatives public representatives maybe some charity group representatives researchers who are scientists who are statisticians and as a group we come together to drive what exactly we're interested in so we use research to help guide what the gap is so what for example the childhood cancer groups and then you might bring in people who have lived the journey uh, or, or public members who want to feed back into what exactly we should be thinking about so our work really is patient-centered and then how we go about doing the research and um, it can be a, it can be a number of years process and um, and Ray, do you want to take the second half of that? Yeah, I, I suppose then it, it maybe comes down to the types of methods that we use when we talk about quantitative and qualitative approaches. So quantitative is more kind of numbers focused. So looking at is there a measurable increase in someone's fitness or their quality of life score using a questionnaire. Uh, and then a qualitative approach might be um, doing a focus group of people to learn uh, about their experiences or something to give you maybe uh, in, in a greater insight into maybe things that the numbers can't tell you, you know, and I think um, really a, a lot of research projects benefit from a combined approach and that, you know, um, it, it can be helpful to get kind of a large sample with those kind of hard numbers uh, and then maybe to follow up with some qualitative work to see, okay, well, 
you know, people are reporting that their their fitness decreases at this stage. And, you know, what are the challenges that people are experiencing in that time? And, and then to talk to people about that. And um, so, uh, yeah, and one thing I'm really, really passionate about in terms of um, exercise and cancer care in Ireland, I was at the um, Irish Association of Cancer Research Conference last week and uh, became aware of this statistic where uh, from research starting, uh, to that research being implemented into into cancer care, that that cycle takes seventeen years, and and all that that all the research that's done, only fourteen percent will actually make it into care, and so so for me, you know, we invest <laughs> blood, sweat, and tears into the research that we do. It means everything to us, and to think that our work mightn't end up actually optimizing care. I'm really interested in learning, well, how can we do this better? That the money that is in, invested in research, how can we maximize the impact that that can have? And um, so that kind of sits in this area known as implementation science and, and really trying to, to build collaborations with, like Lisa said, you know, our partners in the community, cancer support centers who are delivering these services. So that if we test something, say in a research setting and we show it's effective, have we also looked to see, well, if it was taken up by a cancer support centre, would it be as effective delivered in that setting? And, and one way to really bridge that gap is to do research in the setting that you'd like to deliver it in. And, and, and I was really lucky in, in, in my research that, that that's what we did with what we it was called MedEx Impact. Um, it was a 12-week programme for people who'd finished cancer treatment. They received a home exercise programme, information sessions about uh, the benefits of exercise and challenges that people might might encounter uh, and a one-to-one -one exercise consultation and and that approach it, it really minimized the delay in in optimizing um, uh, outcomes for the people we had almost 200 people who took part in that research so so there's a real benefit to to doing research at that interface if you like where, where research meets service delivery um, and yeah in terms of my research going forward I'd be really keen to continue working in that space and if we we're able to get some funding for um, a study to look at uh, exercise and dietary support for children and adolescents affected by cancer that's the hope is that we would work with the uh, East Galway Midlands Cancer Support Centre like I mentioned who were really um, instrumental in uh, developing the idea for this project and uh, helping us to identify well, where is the area of greatest need but if we are going to get money where is it best placed I think another thing to add there, Raman, is that it is important to understand it as a, a, a patient group, if you like, because the cancer types, the cancer treatments, the characteristics of the, the tumour and all that are quite different. And so we do kind of have to hone it into a group, a specific group for us to be able to understand it better. Excellent. I know we have another couple of questions there, but I know our time is up for the actual room. So I'll pass back to um, Elaine there. Thanks, Roman. Thanks, Mairead and Lisa. That was a fantastic uh, session. Time has uh, absolutely flown, as, as Roman says. We're going to stop the recording now um, of, of this session and bring it to, to a, a close. You've been listening to the Patient Voice and Cancer Research Fireside Chat podcast. A big thank you to our speakers and patient participants today. Subscribe and follow the Patient Voice in Cancer Research wherever you get your podcasts. Mm -hmm.